0: Welcome to the Life Church STL podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages and inspires you. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I am and I am not talking about fatherhood today um, because fatherhood to me is uh, really vast. Um, father is referenced many, many times in the Bible, not just about God the Father, but Um, It's even said of Satan that he is the father of lies. So God many times ties the word father to creation, to somebody who designs things, to somebody who orchestrates things. And so fatherhood is so much bigger than just, hey, I have children. Fatherhood is a position. It's almost a spirit. It's a mantle that's on things. And maybe not even just on a man. Fatherhood is a spirit that God has of creation and design. And so, what we're talking about today is the design of God. Um, And so, I just want to start with uh, honoring my own dad, and I'm a backstory person, so I think backstory is, you know, huge. You might not know a lot about me, but, uh, you know, I was raised on a very healthy um, balance of movies. So, we've got sci-fi horror genre, Alien, you know, James Cameron, you know, all the way from there, all the way to Austin Powers, you know, that's pretty much my dad's range, you know. And I'll never forget, you know, how special this moment was in my life. And to you, you're just gonna be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. But, you know, I lived in House Springs most of my life and went to um, Northwest. But in high school, my dad... Let me go to Viani, which is off of 55, which is vastly different experiences. You know, first of all, it's an all-boys school. It's a Catholic school, which I'm not Catholic, never have been. And so it was a wonderful experience. But at the same time, it just wasn't the culture of my family. My dad's a blue-collar steel worker. And so we would go to these events sometimes, you know, they'd have big get-togethers, and he just Yeah, I could tell how uncomfortable he was. You know, like, who are these yuppie people, you know, that, you know, just like their suits. He doesn't even own a suit, you know. He's there in his jeans and the best coat that he could find, you know. And so one time we're at one of these events in uh, my junior year, I think, and he just like leans over me and I'll never forget. He's like, you want to get out of here? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, what are we going to do? He's like, I don't know. Let's go see a movie. And I was like, okay. So where did we go? We went to Ronnie's when it was actually that tiny Ronnie's eight theater, you know, and um, and we saw, uh, I'm sorry, but Jackass, the the MTV movie, you know, <laughs> where the people just get hurt intentionally, you know, that's what we did, you know. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not here to say that. I'm just saying we just didn't fit in over there, you know. And so when you look at my backstory, I just like to be myself. You know, I don't need to try to be somebody else. And that's something my dad taught me. He didn't need to try to fit in with those people. He just needed to be himself. And so that's what I'm going to try to be, you know, today. Which is why I'm going to read you uh, these dad jokes that I found um, <laughs> at the local Sonic. You know, the Sonic and Fenton? You ever go there? I mean, I'm a, I'm, I love Sonic. Sonic's great. I love tater tots, you know? That's my thing. So anyways, I go to Sonic and they always have this whiteboard up in the window with the cheesiest jokes you've ever read. But they're so funny. So I, took a pi- I take a picture every time I'm there if it's a new you know set of jokes. So I liked some of these. Have you heard about the man who was injured in a bizarre peekaboo accident? He's in the ICU. <laughs> That's a great dad joke. I recently took a poll and found out that 100% of people in the tent were angry when, I, when it collapsed. <laughs> Do you guys get that? That went over some of your heads. When I was young, I was poor. But after years of hard work, I'm no longer young. <laughs> I mean, who comes up with these? They're so good. But I didn't think these were funny like 10, 15 years ago. You know, I just would have blown by. Um, is being a horse trainer considered a stable job? I don't know. What is the opposite of isolate? You so early. That's just goofy. You so <laughs> that took a second. My boss wants me to sign up for a 401k, but there's no way I'm running that far. <laughs> These are great. I'm glad you guys like them, too. Okay, so recently I've been reading the Bible, trying through a new lens, okay? So many times when you come to the Bible, you know, you have an agenda, some kind of agenda. It could just be I'm looking for something uh, short to read. That could be your agenda. Your agenda could be um, I'm going to read a psalm because they bring me a lot of peace, you know? Or I'm going to go read um, Acts. You know, I went and read Acts one time because I just want to learn more about the Holy Spirit. Well, anytime you walk into any situation in life with kind of a pre-plan, you're kind of tunnel-visioned to that plan, whatever that thing is, you know. And whether you believe it or not, you're only going to get out of it what you kind of expected to get out of it. And so God challenged me recently. He's like, you come to the Bible Many times with, I want to read a gospel because I just want to see Jesus' life play out. He said, but you end up missing things because you're actually so focused on Jesus. Now that's not a bad thing, being focused on Jesus. But you're so focused on his life that you may have missed all the details surrounding his life and how they might have actually played a significant role in what you read. And so God challenged me recently to start reading the Bible just through the lens, simply to know him more. That's it. Who he is, what he's about, what his heart beats for. And as you read the Bible through that lens, and you read these stories about these people, that you're kind of like, they're broken, they're trying their best, you know, you don't actually see their mistakes as much as you see the grace of God on their lives to walk through those mistakes, because you're looking for him. You're not looking at them anymore. You're looking for how does God and his heart as a father, as the king of all things, as the creator of all things, how does that play into this entire book? And so as you read the Bible, you'll find that God has a design in everything, that God has designed everything. And when we talk about design, design is so important. I mean, I wouldn't, for example, I mean, this is a classic dad thing. I mean, do you know any dads or dudes, whatever, that they just won't look at instructions no matter what? You know, it's like the faux pas. You know, I don't need these. I can figure it out. But I've built stuff with some of these people, and there's a lot of extra parts at the end. There just is. Or you end up having to take it apart partially because you missed a piece or you did this thing wrong. Instructions and design help us to use something the right way. And ultimately, I can do something in a certain way, my way, but at the end of the day, I won't have done it optimally or the best. Let's just just break it down. I'm just going to try to be cool like Pastor Josh and talk about cars, even though I know nothing about cars, zero about cars. They drive me places. I'm not into watching cars drive around either. But if I was gonna watch it, Formula One is crazy. Like, you ever watch those pit stops? They come into the pit, and in seconds, I mean less than two seconds, that car's got four new wheels, it's got a full gas tank, which is driving hundreds of miles an hour, and I don't know, they, they gave the guy a mani petty. I have no idea what else they did. There's like 17 people that come out, and they just run around the car. It's like they never even stopped. But, you know, I wouldn't go drive a Formula One car if I didn't know the intimate details of how to do that. I probably couldn't even figure out how to turn it on. I doubt there's a key you just turn. And then if I tried to drive it, even worse, I'm probably going to get in a car wreck. And how would you know I've been in some car wrecks, not car wrecks, life wrecks, because I've been driving my life the wrong way. I didn't, I didn't read the instruction manual. <laughs> like, I just got in the car and was just like, let's go. And that didn't end well sometimes because I didn't look at how it was designed to work. But God's design is inside of his word. It's inside of relationship with him. It's inside of knowing him. And as we get to know him, we get to know what he's about and how he designed all of this and why he designed it the way that he did. So I'm a big picture thinker. I love to zoom out and look at things, which, you know, my, uh, my kids don't like this. Because they come to me, and the first thing is like, so-and-so did this thing to me. And I could totally just be offended with them, you know? Like, I'm so sorry that that happened. But my first question is, what did you do to them? <laughs> and you always back up the story. And it doesn't always start with my child, thank God. But a lot of times it did. It started with something, a word, an action, something. Many times when you get all the way back to the beginning of something, everything becomes way more clear. And we have to do the same in the Bible. We have to go all the way back to the beginning, and we have to see how did God intend for this to all work. So God is the creator of everything. And we kind of say the word everything, and I think it's a little watered down. No, everything. I I like to think about this stuff. I like to nerd out about the fact that, like, sound waves. Have you ever thought about sound waves? That is a crazy concept, this sound that's happening right now. Sound is frequencies, and low frequencies different than high frequencies. And low frequencies travel farther than high frequencies. And some ears, you know, dog whistles, some ears are tuned to hear certain frequencies better than other ears. That's crazy to me. Light is crazy to me, light itself, because God designed light not only to illuminate dark places, but it also inside of light are all the primary colors that create color that we see with our eyes. And our eyes were specifically designed to be able to see those reactions to electrons and atoms in matter so that I can see the color blue. God designed all of that. He designed my circulatory system and how my heart pumps my blood through my body. He designed my brain and my electrical current running through my body. He designed all of it. Every bit of it did he design. And if I'm to believe that, then why wouldn't he be the one that I go to to talk about it? If he knows everything about it. Now, I'm not saying that you know, doctors or medicine are bad. All I'm saying is why is he not the first one that we would go to when he's the one that designed it all? There's so many crazy things. God created so many symbiotic relationships in nature. Think about we wouldn't live without trees, and trees wouldn't live without us. We breathe out carbon dioxide and breathe in oxygen, and they do the opposite. He created that symbiotic relationship. He created our need for nature and nature's need for us. He created and designed all of that, and all of it must have a purpose because he designed it that way. He designed gravity, good or bad. It keeps me standing, and it also really hurts me sometimes. You can't defy the laws of gravity. It just exists. And that's true of anything that God designed. It just is the way it is because he designed it that way. Sometimes it hurts that it is the way it is, but many times because you used it wrong that you got hurt using it. He designed the seasons. He designed the beauty that we see in nature. He designed all the colors in the sky. He designed a universe of stars that are so far away we will never even reach them. They're just for looking at. All of it must have some kind of purpose. And so we have to figure out how to live Not fighting against that design, but inside of it. How do we live inside that design that God has created? You know, jiu-jitsu, I'm also not a martial artist, (laughs) but jiu-jitsu is a really interesting art because it's not about overcoming through your own strength. It's actually about leveraging what already exists. So jiu-jitsu, if you look it up, which I did, of course, because I'm not a martial artist, its core philosophy is to manipulate the opponent's force against themselves rather than confronting it with your own force. That's interesting. Using principles of leverage, angles, pressure, timing, and an intimate knowledge of human anatomy. So jiu-jitsu... I have the power to overcome any opponent, no matter how big or how um, strong they are. I can overcome them simply by using what already exists. When they go to punch, I don't need to, like, go against that punch. I actually just need to take them and pull them down to the ground because they were already moving in that direction. They were already headed that way. So just give them a little nudge, and they'll fall right down on the floor isn't that beautiful? Doesn't life feel like you're fighting it sometimes? It feels like you're trudging through, trying to fight situations and like, I just need to win this war for Jesus. Well, that's totally true. But many times we're fighting against ourselves. Many times we're not using the leverage of what already is in motion and taking advantage of what God has already designed for us to walk in His power and in His goodness. Sorry, let me catch up on my notes. So, we see in the world today that mental and physical illness is its rampant. It's terrible. I absolutely hate the fact, you know, that um, children's suicide rates are at an all-time high, that youth are at all-time high depression rates, that medicine is the answer to most of these things, and then you take medicine, and then you have to take more medicine to counteract the effects of that medicine. And many times we have to ask ourselves, is there anything that is causing all of these things? Is anything in life going against how God designed it to? Because God had design in all of these things. We have to ask ourselves, Were we made to take in the amount of information that we're given today? Am I made to see news articles from all around the world of every bad thing happening? Am I made to look at everybody's life through the lens of a cell phone and increase my jealousy and my discontentment? Am I supposed to live this way? Am I supposed to eat the food that's available to me? Please don't take my Sonic, but... Am I supposed to eat absurd amounts of fried food and sugar and then just expect at the end of the day that I'm just going to be healthy and whole the way that God made me? And then we think sometimes, well, I can just pray it away. Well, no, that's not how it works because God designed my body to run on food. but The problem is is many of the stuff I'm not eating is not the food he designed. It's the food we designed. We designed it from something that he created. I mean, what God created in the world is like a Lego set. You know, he said, here's a bunch of things. Here's rock. Here's dirt. Here's all these things. Pastor Josh has said this many times. Like, we didn't make the dirt. We just do stuff with it, you know? And so we take it, and then we make it worse. We don't make it better. (laughs) Like, we make it worse. We took sugarcane plants, which you've ever eaten one, is barely sweet at all. But that's because my taste buds are so used to Sonic's ice cream. It's so used to Reese's. It's so used to this thing. And all of a sudden, I'm discontented with God's design, but I feel satisfied by the earth's design. And I have to start to ask myself, I want to be satisfied by Him, not by what we've created and, and what we say is good. But listen, he stood back after he made everything in its purest form, and he said, this is good. And at some point we said, "Ah, eh, but not good enough. Let's make it better. But we made it worse. So what, one thing is sleep. You know, that, that's, a, that's a big topic, you know. And I, another thing you've said, uh, Pastor Josh has said, that, what is it, the hour of the wolf? I, don't, I can't even describe it. It just sounds crazy. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so the idea, I mean, God said at the very beginning, he created a greater light to govern the day and a lesser light to govern the night, and that's the sun and the moon. But I'm a late-nighter, and then I wonder why I'm so tired during the day. The bottom line is it was designed that when my eyes, this is actually a scientific fact, when my eyes stop seeing light, My brain all of a sudden says it's time to go to sleep. But the problem is is we weren't happy with the amount of light that was provided, so we created artificial light. We created light bulbs. We created screens. We created all these things so that we can have light in the darkness. And the problem is, is our eyes become so stimulated at night by the TV shows and the social media and all the stuff that the brain never says it's time to turn off. I'm supposed to be awake because God designed our brains to know when there's no more light There's no more wakey. I'm going to go to sleep now. And then we wake up with the light. That's how it's designed. So we have to ask ourselves again, am I living in God's design? And I'm a very, like, I try to be a very practical person. But we can't just be practical when it comes to God. God is practical. There's tons of practical knowledge and wisdom in the Bible. But there's also a spiritual side to it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. God is both. God is both. um, He created this physical world, but he placed a spirit on the inside of each one of us. And so we have to live in both of those worlds. And so we also have to look at the Bible through that lens too. And so I want to talk about, you know, what, what is our purpose? What is this design? What is the design and how can we live in it? with two main aspects, and these two main aspects I think is, are pretty all-encompassing. These two things would revolutionize any person's life, including my own, in any area, any area, not just church, not just my family, in every area of life, these two things. So the first one is our spirit must control our flesh, not the other way around. That's the first one. So I, first of all, just want to give a really fast, you know, lesson in that the Bible talks a lot about the separation of body and spirit. This is, I'm trying not to shock you with that. You know, I think you all know it. We have a soul and we, when we die, very sadly, we will, our body will stay here and our soul will go back to heaven. And that's talked about in Ecclesiastes 12, 7. They don't have these scriptures back here. For then the dust will return to the earth, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. In 2 Corinthians, it takes this a little bit further. 2 Corinthians 4.16, it says, That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. So this one takes that a step further, and it actually shows us that our body and our soul have different sources of strength. Their strength, their wellness comes from different places. You have to feed both of them. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. So this is saying that if a person's spirit is not alive and active, they cannot discern the things of God. So each one of these is kind of outlining. There's so many scriptures that talk about this separation. Jesus himself talks about it in his life, about um, this separation. They have this scripture, John 5, 19 through 20. So this is Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is right before he goes to the cross. And he's really struggling with this. I mean, anybody would. But what he, what he says to his disciples Right before, I think I'm not getting ahead of myself. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, he says to his disciples, right here. Okay. I'm just going to read it. My gosh. Matt, what are you doing? Okay. Let's go to Matthew 26, 39 through 41. So this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, he went on a little further and he bowed down with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will be done, not mine. And then he returned to his disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even for an hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to the temptation for the spirit is willing but the body is weak. So Jesus himself is having this war because his body says, I don't want to die. His spirit says, I want to please God. And then he goes back to his disciples and he says, can't you guys just stay up with me a little at all? You know, he's basically, your body is weak. It wants to sleep, but your spirit, it wants to pray. And so many times in this separation, and this is even true all the way back to the very Garden of Eden. The very first moment that man had, our flesh took control of our spirit man. And this is something that we have, to, like I said, asking those questions every day. Am I, which one am I feeding? Now, winning a war, because in Galatians, it talks about in 5, 16 through 17, it says this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature, nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So there is a battle going on in every one of us. The fact that I have a body, but on the inside of me is my spirit. And one of them wants control. And you know, when you're trying to win a battle... The first goal is not actually to take out all the bad guys, to get rid of them. Many times we take that approach. It's like, well, you know, uh, smoking or alcohol or bad TV stuff or whatever it is, and we're just, I'm going to attack all those things. I'm just going to get rid of it. I'm going to eradicate all the bad behavior. But That's not actually how you win the war. The best way to win the war is to stop the supply chain. Anytime you can stop food or ammunition going to the enemy is the best way. Because if they don't have it, what do they have to do? They surrender. So we have to ask ourselves, am I feeding my flesh or am I feeding my spirit? And if I cut off the supply line, if I cut off feeding the flesh, all of a sudden it will yield and it will submit to my spirit. But the problem is it's giving, we're giving it too much ammunition. It's winning the war. Because it's being given too much food. It's being fed too many supplies. And at the end of the day, it wins every day because it's more powerful. While the spirit man, it says in that scripture earlier, it says the flesh is decaying, but the spirit is renewed day by day. If my spirit is not being renewed day by day, and the flesh is the one being fed, then at the end of the day, my flesh is being renewed day by day while my spirit is decaying. I have to realize which one am I feeding? And then we have to ask ourselves just simple questions. At the end of the day, how do I know if my flesh is being fed or my spirit's being fed? I think most of us know. I think we do. Because God placed Himself on the inside of us. That spirit, it's in every single person. Every single person that is alive whether a good person or bad person, no matter your opinion of them, they were made by God, designed by God for himself. And so if that's the truth, then every person has his spirit on the inside of them, and they can hear that voice. But the problem is it's too noisy. The flesh is too noisy, and it blocks out the sound, and all of a sudden we can't hear him speaking to us. So we have to ask ourselves sometimes, I have to ask myself this on a regular basis. I have to switch up my eating habits because I'm in a rut right now. I wasn't eating a lot of sugar, and now I've been eating a lot of sugar again. And I have to ask myself, can I stop myself? I couldn't stop myself from eating my wife's leftovers last night. Like, she had this rigatoni pesto um, stuff at dinner on Friday, and I was like, I'm just kind of hungry, and it's 10 o'clock at night. I don't need that food. Like, my body literally doesn't need the food. I'm about to go to sleep. It needs zero energy at this point. It's trying to go to bed. But I'm like, I think you need some calories, you know? (laughs) I think you're, you know, you're wanting this, right? And I think the spirit man, believe it or not, the spirit man cares about all these things. He cares about all of it. Food, what you watch, what you listen to, he cares about all of it. Because it's his life too. He's trapped on the inside just watching it all play out. It's kind of like God is just like, "Ah, if you would just listen. I'm speaking to you through that inner voice. You just can't hear. It's too loud. And So I have to ask myself, can I stop myself? I didn't stop myself. I ate that pasta. It just, it looks so small. And anyways, I didn't need it. But I have to ask myself, who's in control here? I was watching this TV show that I really thought was going in a good direction. You know, like it was actually, it's an interesting show, um, but it was actually preaching that there is, it's not a Christian show, yet it involves spiritual things. And it was kind of talking about how there is a real spirit realm and there is a real battle with the devil. And I thought, that's really neat. Like that's a real thing and that's on there. Well, then all this stuff starts happening. They start putting all this garbage in it, you know, and the message gets skewed. And I'm like, eh, I don't like it anymore. But the flesh in me is like, well, I just kind of want to know what happens. Like, don't I need to know what happens? I mean, isn't life going to be better if I see the last few episodes? I'm invested at this point. I need to get to the end. But the spirit man's like, why? Why do you need that? what is it adding to your life? It's just feeding the wrong thing. This flesh wants to be fed so bad. It wants to be alive and thriving while the spirit man is on the inside. It's like, no, crucify that thing. It's battling against God's will for your life. So that's the first one. (laughs) The flesh can't be in control. The spirit needs to be in control. And the second one is humongous, unity, simply unity, unity between people and unity with God. And really, that's all in the same. There's a whole lot of scriptures where Jesus talks about, it. well, if you feed the least of these, if you feed the poorest, the smallest, you fed me also. Jesus, he encompassed the entire gospel. They asked him, well, how would you you know summarize all the laws said two things love god with all your heart mind and your soul and love people like you love yourself that's it that's the entire thing and then all throughout the bible we we get to figure out what love looks like and it looks a lot different than what the world describes so when we talk about unity i i thought this was crazy i I talk about Genesis all the time. I just think this whole scenario with Adam and Eve and everything that happened there is, again, it's the backstory. It's the very beginning, and we can actually see all the way back there every problem we see in the world today existed right there in the first moments of mankind. And so in Genesis 2, 15 through 18... This is about, you know, God's, God's created a bunch of stuff, and he, he created Adam, and he's placed him in the garden, and this is what happens afterwards, which I think is hilarious. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. And the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge and of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, this is the the kicker, it's not good for the man to be alone. It will make, I will make a helper for him. So let me paraphrase this for you. God took Adam. He put him in a place. He said, stay out of trouble. And then his next sentence was, this isn't good. I need to make someone to help this guy. (laughs) That was his very next statement. It was like, I'm just wondering what facial expression Adam had. He's like, don't eat from that tree or that tree. And that just like glazed over look, you know, or like avoiding eye contact. You know, Adam's like, yeah, yeah, I'm totally, totally, yeah. I'm not going to do that. Not going to do that at all. He's like, this isn't good. I need to create a helper for you. And so God goes through this whole process of, you know, well, it, are any of the creatures that I've made good enough for the man? None of them are. So in Genesis 21:24. It says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep, into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of his ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. I love Adam's response. At last! With an exclamation point. It's exactly what I said when I found my wife. At last! That's not true. (laughs) I wish I would have done that. The man exclaimed, this is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She shall be called woman because she came from the man. And this next sentence, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a beautiful picture at the very beginning of time that God made somebody like me. And he said, you're incomplete. You are lacking something. And I 100% agree. And then he designs woman. And he says, you are the other half of him. And you two together are more powerful, united together, than you were apart. Because they're designed for each other. He didn't just make more men and was like, yeah, we just need more of him. No, he was lacking something. And so God designed another one like him, but not like him at the same time. And that's beautiful, because that's actually how the body of Christ is too. From the very beginning of time, the very first moments God places Adam in the garden, He says, you need somebody to complement you. You need somebody to complete you. And then when Jesus comes on the scene and He starts talking about the church, He starts talking about how every part is different. Every part is needed. And so when we look at The world today, the kaleidoscope of humanity, I think many times we forget that it takes all people of every race, of every color, of every age, of every type to come together in the body of Christ to truly be the most beautiful picture of unity and the church that God could have ever designed. That's how he designed it to work, that we all are united with each other. From the very first moment, you're lacking. You need somebody to be united with you. And so as we look at the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12-13, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body, by one Spirit, and we all share the same Spirit. So, in there it says, "Some are Jews, some are Gentiles." It's like doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your religious, um, you know, subscription. Doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor, if you're slaved or not. Every person is supposed to be in the body, and that's when it's whole, and that's what God is looking for. And so. I think that there are three main things that can make us more united with people. And really, I I think that what I'm talking about today could be many, many sermons. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that I think can change our lives in a really powerful way. So these three are going to be humongous. (laughs) These three things that I think can cause greater unity in your life, maybe not your life, but my life for sure. Each one of us can do that are really simple things. Simple, but big. Three things. One is forgive people. This is a hard one. Unforgiveness is one of the greatest walls that have been built in anyone's life. And it blocks us from unity with others. It blocks us from unity with spouses. It blocks us from unity with children. It blocks us from unity with everybody. Some people. It's blocked their way into the doors of a church. And that's so sad. You know, God says that if we want to be forgiven, that we have to forgive. And I'm not dangling that as like a threat, (laughs) you know, but that's just how he designed it. He designed the law of sowing and reaping. And whether you want it to work that way or not, that's how it works. When you sow seeds of forgiveness, you get forgiveness back. When you sow seeds of goodness and peace and mercy, you get all of that back. That's just how it works. You can't change it. It's how he designed it. And so you just have to sow the right seeds. I think forgiving people would, I mean, eradicate (laughs) so much disjointedness in society. Letting go of prejudice. And I'm not just talking about racism. Prejudice is in everything. How many times have I talked to an older person, older? I didn't say how old. That talks about how millennials are lazy. I mean, I feel like that happens all the time. That's a prejudice. That's a prejudice against younger people. And you can talk negatively about younger people, or you could mentor some of them. You could teach them how to be hard workers. I remember my grandpa. He uh, there was a hole. It was at least six feet deep, and I was only like 12 at the time. And he said, we need some more dirt out of there. So I get down there with the shovel and digging it out, throwing out the dirt. I said, okay, I think it's deep enough, he said. And I put my hand up, and he just walked away. I was like, are you going to help me out? Now you can get out. (laughs) Well, I got out of the hole, and I learned how to climb, (laughs) you know, at the same time. The bottom line is he taught me something the value of hard work and whether you like his approach or not that's how he did it and you're going to you're going to do something's some right you're going to do something's wrong you know uh, the disciples came to jesus at one point and they were like these people over here they're they're preaching the gospel but they've got all these things wrong like with their lives and they're not even saying it right you know they're doing all, and jesus was like it's getting preached you're going you're gonna to fail. You're going to fall sometimes. You're, you're not going to do it exactly the right way, but the fact is, is you did it, and you tried. So I don't want to hear about how millennials are lazy anymore because I am a millennial, and I'm not lazy. And then how many times have you talked to young people, and they have something to say about some other generation? That's all prejudice. How many times, I mean, I said yuppie earlier, I have nothing against people that live on Manchester and all those places, but you just, you just drive on those roads and you're just like, who are all these people? I mean, look at these, look at these houses. <laughs> That's a prejudice. It's all prejudice. You, you drive through House Springs and you've got opinions about it. You just know it. You have opinions somewhere in your head about that house with the car in the front yard. I'm not going to quote Jeff Foxworthy, but he's got pl- plenty of good jokes about cars in the yard. We all have prejudice. And we have to get rid of that. We have to take people, and we have to see them not through our eyes and through our experiences, but through the eyes of God. And it says that when God forgives somebody, it says that he removes their sin as far as the east is from the west, which, if you look at a compass, that never stops, actually. The further west you head, east doesn't get closer. (laughs) It never ends. It says he cast them into the sea, where he can't see them anymore. And that's how I need to cast out my prejudices and my um, unforgiveness. I need to cast it into the sea. I need to take it as far as the east is from the west, to where when I see that person, that's not the filter I see them through. I see them perfectly and holy as God sees them. And then the last thing is all the way back at the beginning. We need to read our Bibles, and we need to figure out what makes God's heart beat. What breaks his heart? What brings him joy? And I promise that when we find that, we will actually find that that's what brings us the greatest amount of joy. We don't believe that right now, because we're like, well, I have all these things that bring me joy, but you actually haven't experienced joy until you've been in his presence, until you've come to know him. Then all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is what joy feels like. This is what power feels like. Power is not leverage over people. Power is living in his design. So we have to find that design in his word, in relationship with him, and then we need to start living in it. Because at the end of the day, faith, hope, and love, those are the greatest things. Everything else is going to pass away. Faith, hope, and love will remain. So that's where we, that's where I want to live. I want to live in that. So I invite you to stand with me. Thanks for listening today. We pray this message encourages you. If you have any questions or you'd like to learn more about us as a church, you can always visit us online by going to lifechurchstl.com.